0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, good evening. It's good to be with you. Ruth, thanks for reading that long passage. We looked forward to looking uh, into the Word of God together, but yeah, I'd like just to Uh, You know, thank you for this opportunity to come, Debbie, for the invitation, Um, Liz, for that kind uh, introduction. You know, it's it's hard to capture in a few minutes um, all that God is doing in this world, but God is at work around this world. And you have heard something now of what your church is involved with. But today around this world, God is at work. And We're here to think about missions tonight, and I think it's something that for all of us uh, is something we have to account for. How are we involved in what God is doing? You know, how are we engaged in what he is doing around the world? What do we see the Father doing in our communities and how are we working with him in that? And Really to sort of introduce a, a little bit more, I don't want to talk too much about my own ministry, but I would like to share something of my story because it's also a journey. Um, starting off not knowing really where I was going or how it was going to work, but it was a steps of faith. And now some 35 years later, you look back and you see God's faithfulness. And I pray tonight that you would be encouraged and that as we look at his word together, that you would be blessed But first I'd like to show uh, a short PowerPoint It's just some pictures. It'll, it'll be very quick I'd just like to go through it and share something of my story So I grew up in Africa. My parents were missionaries I don't have many pictures uh, of life in Africa But this is one I do have uh, We were out fishing and it doesn't look like I see any fishing rods But you can probably see we're covered in mud So we had dammed up the river We had caught some fish but. Um, these were my friends and um, Yeah, I was born and and lived till I was 17 in Liberia in West Africa This is typical of the little villages that we lived in and uh, lived among and you know thatched roofs and Yeah, everywhere in the world women hard at work and Very capable of carrying a bucket of water on their heads without spilling a drop. It's uh, I never managed that next this was church You know, I really loved church growing up as a child. Um, Under the trees, at the front of the church, there was preaching and things were happening. There was prayer, there was testimonies. Um, Miraculous things were happening. But then you could go to the back of the church and there was cooking and food. And after the, like, two or three hours of a church service, uh, then you would all stay around for a meal. And I never did understand why we built houses that we had to go inside under the trees seemed a much better approach yeah. This was the mission team that I grew up with my you know, my parents worked with and Working with three different tribal peoples uh, learning their languages at bringing those languages to written form and then translating Bibles um, and to see churches planted among all of uh, these tribes and today the church is growing and in its own pl- uh, strength in the sense of sending its own missionaries but I I show that slide for really the reason that it's mostly white faces you can see the the African uh, church leader of the church standing there also on the right but missions today is very different uh, missions is all like from everywhere to everywhere, and a, a team of, of missionaries today would look very different. Um, lots of Africans and Asians and South Americans, um, really, who are leading missions today. But I still believe that God has a place for us, that he's still calling us, we're still involved, but it's it's very different. It's exciting to see how the church is growing around the world. Next. So I joined uh, the mission in 1985, uh, I moved to Jordan in 86 to study Arabic. Uh, Nancy and I went together. And uh, after learning Arabic and working with the local church, uh, we moved to Lebanon next. And this is the picture of the journey. We had no idea what we were doing, where we were going, but it was a great ride. It was very interesting. Uh, we were learning about the Arab people, and we were saying, Lord, where do you want us to go? And, and so much of this mission's journey for me has been taking one step at a time. Um, the Lord doesn't often show us too many steps ahead, but He shows us one step. And as we take that step, He, he, you know, he reveals that next step. So after uh, some time in, in, in Lebanon, I was working in agriculture. I'm an agricultural engineer. I was invited by this little orphanage to come and put up greenhouses and, well, in these plastic tunnels and grow vegetables. And after I'd been there for a few days, they said, would you uh, and your family come and live with us and, and, and be our director? So this became our home. These were the boys that the Lord gave us to, to care for and to bring up. You can see in the, in the front left side, two little blonde uh, girls. These were our daughters at the time. Lena was three. Miriam was just almost two. And right behind Lena, there's a, a picture of a, we just see a boy's face. Uh, next, and so this is the same three uh, about 15 years later. Uh, Ahmed uh, grew up in our home, um, came to know about Jesus, you know, gave his life to Christ, and you know he is um, today the director of a another program for helping children in South America, Africa, and Asia, and in uh, and in Europe. And so Ahmed is the director of Stand By Me. I think. I, 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 I mean, you may have heard of of Stand By Me. I think the office here is in Carrickfergus, but they do a great ministry. But Ahmed was one of our boys, and he's just an example of many who have grown up to follow Christ and today have ministries, um, you know, tremendous ministries, ministries that I would never have been able to do, uh, reaching their own people. Um, And many of these boys today are serving Christ, and we thank the Lord for that. Next, our, our home grew to 60. Um, I had 60 beds. We felt that was maximum, and they were always full. Uh, and these were the yeah, these were the boys that the Lord gave us to love, and to bring up, and to tell about Christ. Next, in the front row of those boys, there were two little boys who were from the Druze faith. So I went. I was hoping to reach out really to the Islamic world, to the Muslims around me. But in the midst of uh, all of that, most of those boys were um, from Muslim background, but there were two little boys from uh, uh, a religion called the Druze people, D-R-U-Z-E. I'd never heard of them. I found there was nobody working among them. And so we started to pray, and that's how I think you should start most things. I said, Lord, what do you want us to do? Others joined us, we began to pray. And so in the evenings, I used to go up into the mountains and uh, share with the people there about Christ, the Jews people. And uh, I, I had one time an invitation from a man to come and see him. So I, I took two friends with me. We went up in the evening, and we knocked on the door. And uh, there's no lights, no electricity. This uh, door swung open. Um, this, a lantern appeared. This lady started to speak to us. We asked if her husband was in. Suddenly he had came out from the shadows behind her, and he quickly pulled us into the house, set us down, and he said, I've been waiting for you to come. I've had a a dream. And in my dream, uh, I was in a cave, and I heard noise, and there was men talking. So I was following the light, and I I came around the corner, and suddenly in front of me was a table, and it had 12 men sitting at it. And there was a man uh, with his back to me, and he was breaking bread and speaking and i must have made a sound so he spun around and he saw me and suddenly i woke up i've been so burdened who was this man who were these people he was talking to what was he saying we had the chance of leading him to christ that night and the reason i share that is because god is always ahead of us he's always preparing he's going before us to the people that we will serve and he had been preparing this man's heart. And it encouraged us. When I first went to the Middle East, there were five of us uh, you know, with the mission. And um, when we left, there were many more. And this was uh, the team uh, a few years later, people from many nations uh, working all across the Middle East and North Africa. That flash that you saw there of a, of a house Uh, After we'd been in the Middle East for about 15 years the Lord took us back to Canada and that was the Canadian office um, From the heat of Middle East suddenly to the snow of Canada, but our job there was to train and send And so every year we ran courses. We usually ran two courses a year um, Usually five to twelve people per course uh, Sending them around the world and so this was one of our courses in 2010 uh, people going to India and Japan Laos Amazon and Morocco. Next, the Lord took us then to Singapore. Next, and we worked with Wex International leadership team. Um, so, Nancy and I were deputy international directors. It was a great team uh, to work with. Um, and then also we were area directors for Middle East and North Africa. So that's been the journey. And uh, as as Liz mentioned, Nancy passed away. Um, and I am now working with uh, With the mission training leaders. We have a course called lead uh, Which is obviously for the leaders, but we also have a course called life Which is for every member of the mission after they've been in the mission for about three years and life stands for leading uh, living intentionally and following effectively and we hope that this will encourage so at the moment we have about a hundred people enrolled in, in different courses Um, And we are offering these courses online and Liz is uh, Is part of the team offering that? This is a family Uh, My kids were all born in the Middle East Uh, My eldest daughter on the left is a teacher uh, in the Czech Republic Um, My other two daughters in the gray and the white um, are nurses in Canada Uh, Mimi on the right these are her four kids and this was a, a great opportunity to be together as Mark and Hannah got married last October. It's one of the few chances we get together as a family. And then my son Daniel, um, standing there in in the background, is a doctor over in England. You know, we bring our children up in many parts of the world, but part of the calling on a family are the children, and God blesses and keeps. And I want to encourage that. If young families are thinking of going overseas, uh, bless you in that. God will open the way for you. Okay next. OK. One of my favorite um, if we I mean that doesn't need to stay up any, any longer. <laughs> I should have left you a, like one more blank one. But um, you know, as I was praying about what to share tonight, you know one of the um, favorite stories I had growing up as a child was the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And, and we didn't read that part. We just read the start of the story. And, uh, but I'm sure you all know the story. It's an amazing story. Uh, Elijah standing there with his altar ready and the prophets of Baal with their altar ready and the bulls sacrificed, the wood ready, but no fire. And everybody's praying and Asking the Lord to bring down fire. And the prophets of Baal pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. Elijah begins to taunt them. And still nothing happens. And eventually, towards the end of the day, towards the end, you know, the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, like, turns to the people. You know, he's passionate you know, for the glory of God. I'm sure he was enraged by the way people had abandoned the worship of the true God and had begun to worship Baal. And then he simply turned. Well, you know, he he put water all over it, make it harder for God, doused it with water, and then he prayed. Fire came down, consumed everything, burned up the rocks, And the people all cried the Lord he is God you know I thought that's not a bad outcome for a missions trip God displayed his power revealed and the people crying the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and God wants to take us on mission trips he wants to use us to reveal himself to others and miraculous things do happen God moves people come to Christ. But the question for us tonight is, how did God prepare his prophet for Mount Carmel? Because I think he takes all of us on similar paths. and As we look at what Ruth read for us here, we see something of the way God prepares us. I'd like us to look at that briefly tonight. So right at the start, in, in, in 1 Kings 17, 1, if you've got your Bibles, let's follow through. Elijah the Tishbite, the, of Tishbe and Gilead, that's over in modern-day Jordan, on the, on the um, east bank of the Jordan River, he said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no, well, neither dew nor rain during these years, except by my word. here was Elijah this is all we know about him he suddenly appears he stands before the king and he declares God's judgment um, that would be revealed in the way of a drought now Ahab was one of the most evil kings that ever led Israel he married Jezebel from uh, a daughter of the king of Tyre again up in in modern-day Lebanon and uh, with her influence upon him, he even built a temple to Baal right in the capital in Samaria. Um, he led, he allowed the people to go astray from the ways of God. Yet God had been preparing His prophet, who was just about to appear on the scene. Now, drought is a terrible thing. I'm not sure that Elijah maybe knew what he was proclaiming. Neither do. In our water and our rain for three years, a drought that would cause suffering for men and women, suffering for animals. Uh, it was going to be a terrible time of suffering. Elijah passionate for God, but how did God prepare him for Carmel? Well, first of all, the Lord took him off and hid him. obviously, Ahab was looking for him, he wanted to to catch him, to find him potentially to kill him the Lord hid him alone away by a brook right near his home um, but alone no one to come see him no one to visit but the Lord still caring he had the water to drink from the brook and he had the ravens to bring him food you know sometimes We start off with mission. We make a direction, you know, in the sense of declaration. We tell others, God is calling me. And suddenly things go very quiet. And there's a period of waiting. What is God saying? I don't think Elijah expected this. Um, He was before the king in the limelight. And now suddenly he's alone by the brook. And Yet the Lord cared for him. And in our mission lives, there's often times of silence, of waiting. And we ask, Lord, what's going on? What are, we, what are we to do? I came to serve you, but now I'm just sitting by a brook. Yes, you're providing me. And it's, in, it's miraculous. Um, but Lord, what am I doing? Maybe I need to show some initiative here, Lord. Maybe I need to think about... Um, Maybe finding another brook, or you see it's getting a little, it's drying up. I knew there was going to be a drought. It's getting a little drier now. Um, but the Lord just kept saying, wait, wait. And then as the brook dried up, I mean, I mean, the Lord knew. He was watching his servant. He knew what was going on. He said, now go. Now go up to Zarephath. And the thing I want to, for us to see is that even while Elijah was waiting, God was working, and God was preparing. And He said, "I've prepared this widow in Zarephath to care for you." So He sends Elijah right up into the center of Baal worship, uh, right up in you know above the northern border of, of Israel, into that area, and there. He's to look for this widow and you know i've often wondered what was going through um, elijah's mind i mean obviously the lord has sent him to a widow she must be a wealthy widow and lots of food because obviously god has uh, asked her to care for me but he goes up there and the lord says that's her and uh you know he just calls out and says, please bring me a glass of water. And it appears that she responded to that, and she headed off to get some water. He's probably thinking, fantastic, the Lord's been preparing her. And then he gets a little braver, and he says, oh, and, and bring me a piece of bread. And so she, at this point, turns around and looks at him, and um, she obviously knows that... Uh, you know, he's a foreigner. I think she probably picked that up from his voice. But she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Here she was, thin, emancipated, about to die. You're thinking, Lord, is this is this your provision? What are you saying here? What are you think? But I'm sure the Lord spoke to Elijah for he said... He said to her, Do not fear. Go down and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake and bring it to me. And then, after, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain. So, in a miraculous way, the Lord provides for this widow. And through her, he provides for Elijah. Now, Why is this so interesting and so important? For me, it's, it's been a blessing to think about this afresh. Um, I'm not sure how many Baal-worshiping people Elijah knew. He had seen the worship of Baal in his own country. He was infuriated by what he saw, the evilness of it all, the hopelessness of it all, when there was the true and living God. And yet, the Lord sent Elijah to this widow of Zarephath. And in Luke 4, Jesus says there were plenty widows in Israel at the time but the Lord sent him to this widow of Zarephath to this Baal worshipping woman and her son and they he was to live with her and she provide for him Now it says after this in verse 17 That is, he started to live there with them, that after this time, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. Hang on, let me just back up one little bit there. First of all, she had said it was just, um, it's just me and my son, and we're going to eat our last meal and die. But it soon says that she... And her household ate for many days. So obviously what happened, word got out there was food in this house. All the relatives show up. You know, if there's food, everybody comes. And they dwell there with Elijah. And in the midst of all of that, he's part of a community. He is learning about a people. He's understanding their story. He's seeing them as people that God loves. He's starting to understand where they're coming from. I think he's starting to understand God's love for them. God had chosen this woman above others, that Elijah might live with her, that Elijah might understand something of the people of Baal. And soon there's a community, he's part of it, and in the midst of all of that, again, God miraculously prepares for his servant and is preparing his servant for going on. But then tragedy comes. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. I'm surprised by both the woman's response and Elijah's response. The woman looks at Elijah and says, What have you against me, O man of God? She's come to recognize him. As a man of God, have you come to me to bring my sin, in a sense, to remembrance, to show it? She's now aware of sin. She's aware through his holy life, being in his presence, him being in the house living with them, she has become repentant of and aware of her own sin. And all of this you've done, you've caused my son to die. And then Elijah's response also I'm amazed at. He says, give me your son. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself out upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And as we read here, he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. I mean, can you see what's happening in Elijah's life? He has come to love this widow. He's come to love this son. He's come to love this little family that he's part of. And he took, and he, he takes it, the little boy, and he, he says, Lord, what are you doing? What about this child? Yes, this Baal-worshipping child. But you love him. I love him. And he stretches himself upon the child. And it's hard to imagine, but the way I see it is that he's identifying with this child. His eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands. Saying, Lord, save this child. There's even the picture, if you think of the hands outstretched, of another son who hung on a tree, identifying with us, giving his life for us. I think Elijah had come to that point had come to that place, this deep love for the people. You know, I showed those pictures of those boys after we'd been there for maybe a year, I wanted to extend Uh, so we could take in more children. And, um, yeah, I was working on the roof. There's no health and safety rules in Lebanon, and work carries on. There's no barriers put up. And I remember being on the roof working one day, and a couple of the kids were running around. I said, look, you guys, you can't be up here. It's dangerous. You could fall off the edge. And it must have been in my mind, I think, because that evening... I went to bed, sleeping, and suddenly I had a dream. I was on the roof. I was working, and my daughter came up with a little boy, and they were playing on the roof. And I was telling them, you know, they needed to, um, you know, go down. It was dangerous. And suddenly, to my horror, I saw they were tripping and about to fall. And uh, I, in, in my dream, I, I dove to catch them, and I suddenly realized I had to hold on to something myself. So I grabbed some of the rebar that comes up out of the roof, and I grabbed it, and suddenly, in my dream, the Lord said, who are you going to catch now? You've got your daughter, you've got this little boy. I remember waking up in tears. Um, Nancy woke up. It wasn't too often. She saw me sitting up in bed crying at night, and I shared the story. And we both cried and prayed and went up, our little daughters sleeping in bed. But it was very real for me that night. The Lord said, look, Henry, if you're going to love these boys, if you're going to affect them and bring them into the kingdom, you have to love them like you love your own kids. They're not some project that you're here to do to take care of them, make sure they get to school. You're to love them and bring them into the bring them into the family and friends i think at this point the prophet was ready for carmel the lord was going to use him in a mighty way the lord was going to bring judgment on the people of baal but even as the prophets were killed later i like to think that, I think potentially there were tears in in Elijah's eyes. If only they had believed, if only they had turned. He had come to love the people. Our time is gone, but really in summary, I see this is the path the Lord takes us all on. He takes us to places of waiting, of learning to listen and to obey. All along, he shows his provision for us. He cares for us. He knows exactly what's happening. And even when he asks us to wait, he's at work. Preparing things. And at the right time, he opens the door. But he takes us to a community of people. He takes us to a family. He takes us to a group of children that we're to care for. And he wants us to know them. To get to know them. To know their names. To laugh with them. To cry with them. And engaging with them at that level... To bring christ to them to be the love of christ the hands of christ to bring the word of the gospel to them that they might know of a god who loves them this is the path the lord takes us on and this is i believe how we bear fruit it's all for the glory of god mission is all about god and his glory The Lord takes us on this path where we are called to love people. And I believe it's the same process, whether we cross the street, we're involved in our neighbors, we need to know them and to love them. And as we do, as we're engaging with them, whether it's immigrants in this community, they're not some project, they're people, they have a name. They're loved by God. Christ has died for them. and We are called to love them, to know them, And be Christ to them and bring them to the kingdom. Let's pray.